Praise God. Man, I am just extremely encouraged. It's not every day, but I am extremely encouraged this morning. I walked in, walked in late to uh, prayer, um, and I'm used to seeing, you know, five or six people gathered around praying. I walked in, and I'm almost in tears. I saw 12 to 14 people just praying. I was just like, oh, my goodness. It's just a good thing to, um, I don't know. Man, I mean, I hadn't even started praying. Man, my mind was wrapped around some other things when I walked in, came in with bulletins, and, and I was just blessed, listening, listening to you call on God. Call on God for yourself, call on God for others, call on God for this community, for our church. It was so, like, humble, too. Prayer is about being able to see you today, being able to uh, know you more, and and allowing that to be the the picture of of Pillar Church, uh, us knowing him. And so, guys, I... I would really encourage you. Um, thank you for showing up. And uh, I pray that 9 o'clock will be 20 people next week. Uh, so uh, super encouraged. So this morning, if you don't know who I am, uh, my name is Eric. I'm one of the pastors here. And um, today we will continue in the book uh, of First Peter. And so uh, we, we actually may finish the book uh, I'm sorry, we may actually finish the first chapter this morning, which would be encouraging to me, but if we don't, praise God. Um, It's been my prayer this week uh, for these passages that I was studying to preach to you. I said, before I start to preach uh, to the people on Sunday morning, God, could you help me to believe what I'm reading, what I'm studying? Uh, Could you help me to understand what what impact this makes for my faith? And, um, yeah, he blessed that. I'm encouraged um, by that. And and it was exactly that, I I think, uh, this week. It was was about my belief. Um, At the end of, of, of studying these passages, I was like, man, what he's trying to do is cause me to believe in him more. He's trying to make me um, hold fast to him in every situation. And so my morning walks around the block um, have been just really encouraging. Um, Just talking to God, talking to God about believing, about reading his scripture and savoring it and knowing what the gospel means for myself. So I'm praying that uh, for you guys this morning. And so uh, with that, let's let's pray. Lord God, thank you for faithfully meeting us right where we are. You meet us when we're low and struggling. You meet us when we feel guilty and shameful. You You don't mind meeting us where we are. That's actually so different from what we imagine a king would do. But you do it over and over. As we find ourselves lost, trying to fill voids of empty space with with stuff. Try to fill it with toys, friends, success, accomplishments, 
religion, and it leaves us empty. But right where we are, we come. Right in the moment that we come to our senses is actually where you meet us. Hmm. Right where we fall to our knees is where you stoop down and mend our wounds. Right where we give up is where you begin to carry us. God, some here this morning have come here with a handful of stuff that they are carrying. Some are weighed down by the pressures of a job or a family, a broken relationship, a difficult marriage, financial burdens. Some here don't feel valuable at all. Some feel that they don't have any identity. So many other things that have, have come into this place, into this auditorium. People have come into this place and, and sat down with this stuff in, in, on their minds, on their hearts, and they're holding on to them. I mentioned also they, they come in here with deep shame and hurt and regret, some, some of pain of a, of a loss of a loved one. Right in their seats, right where they are, I pray that you would meet them. They don't even have to move from their seat. You just will come to them right there. They don't have to fix anything right now this morning. Thank you, Jesus. They don't have to fix anything. Jesus fixed it on the cross. Jesus died because he knew we couldn't fix it. Thank you for having a word for me this week. Thank you for having a word for them this morning. I pray for people all over this auditorium to surrender their lives to you and let you meet them right in their mess. For some, it's a, it's a neat, tidy mess that looks good from the outside. I pray for them especially that they would allow you to be Lord over that mess. God, meet us in this place in an amazing way as we submit to your word. Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, come. Thank you for being our teacher. Would you teach us? We surrender all to you in the name of Jesus. Amen. 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 First Peter, uh, uh, first Peter is the, f is the first of two books that the author Peter wrote. If you don't know who Peter is, uh, Peter was one of the 12 uh, disciples of Jesus. Uh, in fact, he was actually one of the, the inner circle of the three. Uh, there, there was an instance that Jesus took them to a mountaintop, and when they were at the mountaintop, um, he, he transfigured. Moses and Elijah was, uh, um, was seen uh, up there, and, and Peter was one of the ones that spoke up uh, quickly, as he had the habit of doing. He spoke up and said, hey, I think it's good for us to build us some shelters here, for us to stay here. 
And so uh, it, it, Peter was the guy that uh, when they came to take Jesus to be crucified, he took out his sword and cut a guy's ear off. Peter was that guy. He was, he was action first, think later. He was the guy that had, he, he was going to say something ab about it. Uh, when Jesus came to him to wash his feet, he, he said, mm-mm, mm-mm. And Jesus said, yes, unless I wash your feet, you're not of me. And he said, wash, wash my whole body. He, so he, he reacts first. He's that guy. So this guy who's, who's writing this book of First Peter, he's that guy. He's that guy who was in that inner circle. Uh, and, and even after the resurrection of Jesus, he, he was the guy that, in, in, in the temple, I was teaching the kids last week. It was so fun last week, by the way. Uh, I was teaching the kids about the lame man where Peter and John goes to the temple to pray. And Peter is the one that didn't pass by that guy who was asking for alms. He said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I have I give to you. Stand up and walk. And so Peter's that guy. Peter's that guy that's just at the forefront of a lot of stuff in the, in the first century church that we see has, has gone through stuff, stuff, has gone through a few things. He, Peter is a guy that, that witnessed uh, uh, somebody like or heard of a guy uh, named Stephen who, who was martyred uh, for, for speaking the gospel, speaking the truth. Uh, and so he writes this um, about suffering because these people are beginning to suffer more and more. I mean, they, 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 some have faced death, but more than anything, they're, they're, they're suffering because of a persecution within their own homes. Um, they, they're, they're, the, the traditions that they were carrying out before they came to Christ, suddenly they're not, they're not following in those traditions anymore the idol worship or whatever it may be. They, they're not doing those things. So it's the, it's the inner circle that's actually causing the, the, the most amount of problems. And so we, we see Peter writing to these people to encourage them, to encourage them because not only are they being persecuted now, but it's actually within the next couple years will get even worse with the next emperor. They will be slain. They'll be slain in, in, in these uh, big auditoriums, in these big places. They will be killed. And so he's, he's not only helping them and encouraging them to, to battle through suffering right now, but he's preparing them for, for future suffering. And so, so I, 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 the first 12 verses of 1 Peter is really kind of setting that stage and giving them a foundation that, hey, in the midst of suffering, Understand that you're actually not of this world anymore. You are a new creation. You have been born again to a new life. In fact, that's the, that's the picture of baptism when you see somebody buried, when somebody goes into the water and then they come up. That's, a, that's the picture that he, that he speaks about in 1 Peter, in, in the first part of 1 Peter, where it says you've been born, you've, you, uh, us a new birth into a living hope. That's verse three. A new birth, a new life. Reminds you of the story of Nicodemus, right? He says, how can I be born again? Well, that's what, Pete, that's what, 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 what he wants um, these who are suffering to see that this new life, this is a new life. 
He says that they have been born again. Basically, their life is brand new. Just as Jesus died and rose, they have been buried and born again into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I was reading in John last week. I just, I don't know, I did that old school thing where you just turn to a passage, you know. Uh, and, and I was reading in 1 John how he is the light of the world and the light lives now in me. And so when I was raised from, uh, raised to life, into this new life, he lives in me. So this picture that he's painting for this church that is suffering is one of hope. Because their inheritance is being taken away, right? Fathers and families are disowning them now, right? They're not worshiping the idol gods that they usually set up in the morning or whatever and they do. And they, it's like if you're not going to be a part of this family, you're not going to get the inheritance. And what does Peter say? You have an inheritance in heaven that is imperishable. And he continues, he continues, he says, uh, not only tells them to endure suffering because heaven is their home, but to endure suffering because it prepares them for a glorious day when Christ is revealed. When Christ is revealed. Though you have not, it says, um, verse 7, so that the proven character of your faith, more valuable than gold, which though perishable is refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So at the revelation of Jesus Christ, he's preparing you for that moment through suffering. So as new believers, as people who have been born again, this is our, this is our hope. This is where we set our sights. This is why in the midst of suffering, we can worship. This is why in the midst of suffering, we can we can say, it is well with my soul. Because we, we know that a God loves us and he's called us to be with him and, and not just here on this earth, to, but forever, for eternity. So he places in, in verses one through 12, this image of our salvation and being with him in heaven. And, and, and then he says, he says, this is why you suffer. I'm preparing you. I'm not just preparing you uh, here on this earth, but I'm preparing you to meet your Savior. Isn't that an amazing thing? He's preparing us to meet Jesus. And then verses 10 and 12, 10 through 12, has this kind of just random couple passages that talks about the prophets. I call it jealousy. It might not have been jealousy, but it's the prophets uh, looking at the salvation, writing about the salvation that me and you are experiencing right now and being like curious about this amazing upside down kingdom where the, where the Savior dies? This is weird. What? I need to investigate this. What does this mean the Savior dies? And this is what Peter was learning in the midst of it while he was fighting fighting Jesus, saying, no, you'll never die. I'll never let that happen. He began to realize after Jesus suffered and died that this is the kingdom where we are giving our lives as Jesus gave. So, so there, there's a couple of encouragements uh, that we're born again, but the, the encouragement, look, Christ gave you the example. 
Christ gave you the example. And then, like I was saying, the, the prophets spoke about this. That, and, and the angels wanted to just get a glimpse of what this, this, this amazing salvation is. Now that he has communicated to them who they are, right? He's communicating to let us know that we are, we are exiles. We are strangers here on this earth while we suffer. Now he has established that he calls them to action, telling them to set their hope completely in their new identity in Christ. He tells them to be obedient children by allowing their hearts and minds to be shaped by their new identity in Christ rather than in, a former, in their former ways of life. In verse 14, he says to them not to conform to the desires of that former life, but as one called and chosen by God is holy, so be holy. Basically, this is a call to set the trajectory of their lives to godliness. That, that everything that they are is, is pointed to God. Every, everything, all their ambitions, their dreams, their, their, their thoughts of, man, I want to do that, that trajectory is to glorify God. I didn't say holiness in, 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 in the sense that we are called to be holy is not perfection, but it's a, it's a holiness, a holy perspective, trajectory, uh, a pattern in our life that says that I live for God. I raise my kids for God. I marry for God. I preach to point people to Jesus, a holy trajectory. He's calling them to this type of action. He calls them this, this new identity to be fully committed to the things of God rather than the things of their former life. He wants this new gospel identity through verses 1 through 12 to actually shape them. Rather than the former things, their, their temptation, those things that used to shape their thoughts and their decision making. He wants the gospel, the thought of their future inheritance, the thought of Jesus' precious blood dying for them. He wants those things to shape who they are now. There should be. Um, in First Peter 1.17 is where we will start kind of focusing on. It says, if, you're, if you appeal to the Father who judges impartially according to each one's work, you are to conduct yourselves in reverence during your time living as strangers. This statement is specifically to you, right? If you, are the, if you pray to God, and you call God your father, like if, if you appeal to God, if God, if you call God your father, begins his statement, if you, if you truly are a child of God, if when you pray or you're praying to the father, as you live in your temporary home, remember that when God looks at your daily life, he sees it for what it actually is. So if you're this one that, that prays, Understand, have this, this, this thought in your mind that I am completely naked. He sees not just my actions. He sees my motives. He sees what took me there, what brought me here. He sees not the, man, 
I just think about a podcast who we've been listening to lately, but he didn't see just the outcome of a church plant. He sees the motive of the church plant. Wow. He doesn't. He doesn't look impartially. He doesn't look at our, he doesn't look based on our bank statement. He doesn't look based on our title. He looks at us just as we are. He judges our works. So there should be a fear, there should be a reverence about every action you take now. Every action you take, it should be a reverence in you. If you appeal to the Father who judges impartially according to each one's works, each one's deeds, that's your deeds. The Bible says we were created for good works. So this is, this is not us working for our salvation. No, we were created for good works. He's called us to this work. You are to conduct yourselves in reverence during your time living as strangers. If you are a believer in here, you are a stranger on this earth. You are exile. You, you, this is not your permanent home. You will one day be in heaven. There should be a weightiness about your works that marks us as believers. It should be like, man, the way, the way that God prays, the way that God works, the way that God does everything is a weightiness about him. That weightiness should be what man thinks about you, but it should be the weightiness uh, that the reverence you have for God in your conduct. Guys, listen, this is not a burden, bur- a burden for us. But a call to exactly to the things that actually count for us who has this new birth, who are born again. So not a burden. We just want to make sure everything we do actually counts. <laughs> So he's not saying, hey, we need to do these good works so you can earn favor in God. No, I want to make sure that, that everything you do, go about it in reverence and fear, knowing that God sees it. And he judges it. He judges it. Not as a judgmental judge, because, but he is the judge. He is God. But as a judge who knows that you're guilty, but sends his son. That's the judge. (laughs) That's the judge. Don't think about that judgmental person at work or that judgmental person that in your neighborhood. No, think about a judge that says, I will send my only begotten son to die for you. He is calling us to a work motivated by a reverent fear of God rather than a work motivated by selfish ambition, rather than a deed done to please man or any other thing. Man, isn't this a great reminder for us believers to pour all of our energy into the things of God rather than the things of this earth? While I am here, I can do everything to honor God and everything that honors God and I will be rewarded for it. Matthew 6, 1 says, Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves don't break in and steal. Now, every small thing, 
Every small thing and every big thing that you do in, in this life can be surrendered to God. You can do your deeds considering the kingdom impact because you have this reverent fear as you walk about your day. And this is, this is one of the things that I feel like God like really showed me this, this week, and I, and I wrote it like this. You can, you can think and make every decision based on your conversation with God. All right, I'll say it again. This is what it, it really hit me. You can think and make every decision based on your conversation with God. So I can walk out into my life in conversation with God. Because there's a, there's a reference, there's a reverence, there's a fear. I just want to please him. There's, a, there's something that God is like stirring in me to just want to please him in everything I do. It's not a, a, a to-do, it's not a checkbox, but it's a conversation. That's what, I, that's what I'm trying to say. It's, it's a conversation with God that causes me to do everything that, to, to point to him. Peter says, all your works are judged impartially by God. All of them will be seen for what they really are rather than what you want other people to believe they are. Peter is telling them that your call to suffering is a call to life that actually matters. Nothing they do here on earth is for nothing. God sees it all. Everything you do has a weight to it because everything you do is done for God. Everything you do is done with a submission to the one who judges impartially. As a child of God, this is good news that all our works are being captured by God. Hebrews 4.13 is just, just this, this picture of, of nothing is hidden. He sees it as we are. No creature in, in, is hidden from him, but all things are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. First uh, Corinthians four, three and five says, I don't even judge myself. <laughs> Paul says, I don't even judge myself. I leave that up to God. Verse 18. First Peter one, verse 18 says, for, you know, that you were redeemed. From your empty way of life inherited from your fathers, not with perishable things like silver a goal. I just want to go back to for you know. The King James says, for as much as you know. I like that. For as much as you know. Like, it is important for you to know to do this next thing that I'm saying. <laughs> for you know that you were redeemed from your empty way of life, inherited from your fathers not with perishable things like silver or gold. Your knowledge, your understanding of your redemption should do something to you in, in your life. It should, it should change the way you think. Not knowing will cause you to forget that you were ransomed from your things you were asked or tempted to go back into. So on those walks this morning, that's what I was, I was noticing. As I prayed and as I, as I, as I submitted my, my life to this word, meaning as I, as I was caught up in the truth of this word and praying for God to, to reveal to me truth, what I, what I noticed is, is that I, I was not even, I wasn't tempted 
by the temptations of this world. Because I was being conformed by his spirit, by his truth. And this is what Peter is saying. Like, as for as much as you know, realize that you have been ransomed. You have been called out of that life into a new life. Like, like sit in that as much as possible so that your next steps will be ordered by that truth. Be careful rushing into your day, rushing into your decisions if you're not captured by that truth first. Be captured by that truth first. Redeem, to obtain the release or restoration of, uh, as from cap- captivity, by paying a ransom. So y- your translation may say redeem. Some of y'all translation says ransom. The life that God saved you from was empty. It amounted to nothing when you set it to eternity. When you compare it to eternity, it's, it's, it was nothing. When you place it next to what actually matters and means something for eternity, then your former life that were, you, you were ransomed from, it, it, it shows to be empty. You can sort of see here, um, look at verse 18. It says, um, for you know that you were redeemed from your empty way of life, inherited from your fathers. That part, that fathers, this is the reason that I'm, I'm pretty convinced that the fathers had something to do with some of the persecution. The, the, the traditions of your fathers, the, the traditions of your family, the, the way y'all used to do things. He says, he says, you've been redeemed from those empty ways. Don't go back to those. What, what makes us go back to those things? When people makes, shame us, right? Oh, you don't love your, your mom. Oh, you must not, you, you're not loving that person. They shame us for what we do in our faith. Or they make it look like that we're the bad guy. But he says, remember that you are out to please God. There were ways and traditions that you live under that were empty. They were empty because they didn't point to the creator of all things. They were empty because you were created for him. We were created to, for good works, Ephesians 2.10 says. So what is not done for God is empty because it has no eternal value. You were ransomed from that empty way of life. Don't go back and live in that emptiness if you have been redeemed from it. For as much as you know about what you were saved from, as much as you know, and in verse 19 finishes it off, it says, not silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of an unblemished and spotless lamb. First Corinthians 6.20 says, for you were bought at a price. You were bought, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of an unblemished and spotless lamb. You were redeemed with the precious blood of Christ. Our redemption was bought with the blood of Jesus the life of Jesus. Jesus' life was unblemished and spotless. His his worth and value has no category that we can think of here on this earth. Jesus was sinless. He was perfect in all things. He was righteous. 
So his life was precious. His life, his blood was precious because he was perfect. And it was the life you were redeemed with. For as much as you know, understand that you were redeemed, you were, you were saved by this precious blood. To meditate on this truth is important for as much as you know, for as much as you sit in this truth. So as we, as we suffer and as we uh, serve, Jesus gives us the example. Mark 10 45 says, for even the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So as much as you know why Jesus came, let that direct how you live, the decisions you make. Verse 20, it says, for, I'm sorry, verse 20 says, he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was revealed in this last time for you. The revelation of Christ is everything to the Christian faith. Like, like when I came saved, when, it, when I had heard the gospel before, but the revelation of the gospel, the revelation of Christ was what I needed. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was revealed in these last times. For who? For you. We're praying for a revelation. When we pray at 9 o'clock, we're praying for revelation. We're not just praying for these seats to be filled. We're praying for a revelation of Christ. When I pray before I, 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 I study or, or preach or whatever I do, I'm praying for a revelation of Christ. That's what we want. What a revelation. We want to see God. Many people have heard about Jesus. We want people to have a revelation of Jesus. We want the Holy Spirit to change the way we see, the way we think. Colossians 1, 15 through 20, beautiful verse. He is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn over all creation, for everything was created by him in heaven and on earth, the visible and invisible, where the thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and by him all things hold together. He is also the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile everything to himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. This is Jesus, the precious blood that was shed for us, who I spoke of, who, who the Bible speaks of right there. That's who died for us. That's who God sent to die in our place. The one who is before all things and everything is held together because of him. He is the one that died in our place. He who knew no sin 
became sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God. The sinless one paid our debt. Verse 21. This will be the last verse. Through him, you believe in God. Through him, you believe in God who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. He is calling them into a deeper faith. They're suffering, and he's not backing off. First, Peter is not backing off like, hey, I get it if you, if you start to kind of waver and struggle. I get He is not backing off. He's saying, he's saying I understand. He's not saying, I, don't worry about it. He says, no, he is saying, lean in heavier into the hope of heaven. In your suffering, lean in even more. Don't retreat when it gets hard. Lean in even more. Lean into the hope you have been called to even more. It is your only hope. Not that, man, I, I, I can't wait to get to heaven, so that's going to help me uh, here on earth. But lean in because the work that he's calling you to, to obedience, the work, this is important, the work that he's called Pillar Church to, the obedience that he's called us to, is not just to see people saved and see people come to know him. He's calling you to that work because he loves you personally. He loves you intimately. This is not just a call to, to a uh, more impactful church, but it's a call. The reason Peter is calling them to obedience is because this is their only hope. This is their, their way that they're going to understand who they are. If they try to, 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 to run away from suffering, they'll be run away from what God's called them to. Right? We, we let God do whatever he's going to do. Why? Not because we like suffering. Because he loves us and he wants the best for us. And he's saying, this is the way I'm going to do it. This is the way that I'm going to point you to me. The last part of that verse says, so that your faith and hope are in God. Every bit of the suffering is trying to get you to see him. This is why we lean in further into God. We lean in further, not because we like suffering. We lean in further because he's trying to reveal himself to us. How do you know if you're growing in your faith? We know by our deeper hope and dependence on God. Man, am I growing in my faith? How's your dependence? How's your, how, how's your, how's your hope in God? Like meaning, do you, are you having more and more desperation and hope and desire for him? That's growing in your faith. I know some people, and I hear this a lot, and I'm not, I, I just want you to understand this. 
Just because you stop cursing doesn't mean you're growing in your faith. That doesn't equal growth in faith. That, that's awesome because that you, you're, I can see you're pursuing God. That's awesome. Or maybe you stop blowing up or whatever. Like, like, man, I don't blow up as much. I only blow up once a week now, you know? I used to blow up five times a week. The measure of your growth in, in, in God is his last part, so that your faith and hope are in God. That's why we welcome everybody to pillar. Because we just want to point them to God. That's all we're trying to do. We're just trying to point them to God. Come in with your mess. Bring your mess. We can't, we can't fix it, but we know who can. So, so if you were wondering, man, do I bring my, my unbelieving friend to this church? Yes. Do, do I bring that person that I'm just not sure about? Yes. We want, we want to accept the suffering, not because we like it, not because we love to suffer, no, but because this is what he's called us to. In the, uh, one of the verses in early on, it says, if it's necessary, if it's necessary, if it's necessary for you to, have, to, to create more hope and more faith, I'll do it. A hope in anything else other than God when suffering will increase. Anything else will, will fail you. Cling to God. Hope in God. When you're facing the most difficult things in life, know that you have been redeemed by the precious blood of God. Let's pray. God, um, thank you so much for your faithfulness and your love for us. Thank you for your, your grace and your mercy. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your truth. I want to just pray right now that what we learn this morning what we learn from your spirit. This thing about having a hope in you, having a trust in you, living our life knowing that you see every bit of our motives, living our life in reverent fear of you, living our life in a conversation with you because all we want to do is point our actions and our ways to you. I, I pray that for myself. I pray that for us here. Pray that for this church. God, this, this would be a, a church that just wants to point their lives to you. Point people to you. God, every other ambition is empty. That was the empty way of life that you saved us from. The ambition to, for, for self-glorification, the ambition to be satisfied and, 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 
and uh, contented in money or fame or success or anything else that's actually going back to the old way of life, the empty way of life. God, I pray that we would seek you and then seek for you to be honored and glorified in all that we do. God, I, I pray for those who are suffering as Peter is trying to encourage us. Those who are suffering loss or, or grief or, or maybe, maybe just uh, for their faith. They're, they may be suffering for their faith this morning. I, I pray that you would give them a strong hope in you that for as much as they know, <laughs> they would realize that they were redeemed, ransomed, saved from, from having to please those people who hate them. They don't have to please them anymore. They need to please you. And I just pray that that would be how they live and how they hope. Their hope would be completely in you, God. In Jesus' name, amen.